0: I figured out in the last 11 Sundays, I've only been here teaching twice. That's nine out of 11 I've missed. Part of it's vacation, part of it is the operation on my knee. And I apologize. I thought I would be back on the third Sunday. I guess the older you get, the longer it takes. And I'm still on the stool uh, because I still need it. So what I thought we would do is we would split today into two parts, uh, and part of it would be be depending on the three on the clock. The first part is we're going to review where we've been. We've been about six, seven months into the Heidelberg Catechism, and I want to just remind us why we're doing this, uh, what we're doing, and give you a little preview of what's, what's coming up. And then we'll get into Lord's Day 17 about the resurrection of Christ, if we have time. If not, I have a free week, because I don't have to prepare for next Sunday. I already did. <laughs> no, this, is a, this is what we're going to be doing. And if you look at the outline, which I hope is in your bulletin, you'll see where we're going. First, why are we studying the Heidelberg Catechism? Well, Let me do two readings. First one is from Colossians, the third chapter, uh, beginning at verse one. And I am going to ask you to do something that has been a long time tradition and ritual of the church and probably should be brought in because... What I'm gonna read to you is the very word of God, translated from the originals, but from the very word of God. And just as if the president of the United States were to come in, we all rise in honor, how much more should we not rise in honor of the word of God and the God who is in it? So I'm gonna ask you to stand. Get used to it, you may not sit. In some churches, it's a pastor who gets to sit and the congregation stands for the whole sermon. Oh, that that change won't work. Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory and then turn over with me to second timothy first chapter verse 13 going to do 13 and 14 and then we're going to skip down to the second chapter 13 retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in christ jesus guard through the holy spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you verse one of chapter two you therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in the in christ jesus The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. And then jump down to verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers, but diligently to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And with this we have read the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Be seated. I see some of you are old time Lutherans. <laughs> okay. Why are we studying the Heidelberg Catechism? Well, 2 Timothy puts it in perspective in verse 13 of chapter one. Retain the standard of sound words. What you've heard, verse two, what you've heard entrust to others, to faithful people, And verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. See, these are the foundations of our faith. What the apostles have given to us, the prophets and the apostles, that's the foundation. And Jesus Christ is a cornerstone. And we are called to retain the standard. It's a reminder to us that we are not the first generation of Christians. We aren't reinventing the faith. It is a faith that has been around for centuries. It's a faith that's been around even before Christ came into the Old Testament. It just was better unveiled through Christ and the apostles. And we are not called to mix, change, or temper or yeah, temper this faith. We are called to retain it, keep it. And then to go on and pass it on to the generations. This is the faith what John three said, contend for the faith, or Jude three, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We have a body of knowledge upon which we build our faith that must be known, it must be believed, and it must be passed on. It must be known. You know, we say, we come to Jesus and all your troubles are done. No, you come to Jesus and you just have begun an adventure of learning. Learning a whole new way of life, because the old way of life was counter the time. That way in which you know it is to believe it, to put your trust in it, to rest on it, to say this is true, it is eternal, and I will adhere to it. And then finally to pass it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. How do you do that? Well, it's been passed on through the centuries by creeds, confessions, and catechisms. By creeds, I read one of them, Second Timothy 2. It ends with one of the creeds. It says it's a trustworthy statement, and it goes on. That's one of the creeds you'll find in the New Testament. It's one of the things that the, uh, the apostles shared with their disciples, and the disciples shared with their disciples, and it just continued on like that. Creeds are basically just statements of faith, normally short, succinct, that come f- that are named from the word we believe. Like the Niosean and the, the Apostles' Creed. We use the Niocenean Creed every Sunday. And it's short, only takes three, four minutes. I mean, you can stand up and say it, right? And then you go, sit down. We get to do announcements. Well, that may change too. <laughs> Not that we're gonna have you stand for the rest, but changes happen. Confessions are larger documents which try to put succinctly what you would find in the Bible. You know, the Bible's a big book. It's a complex book. And if you wanted to spend your whole life studying it, you would only come up with what is in the confessions. This has been over centuries, people who have spent their Time learning the scriptures, putting them together, and writing it down so that you have in a very similar, somewhat short document, what does the overall picture of the Bible read? And what does it say? Therefore, you don't have to do that kind of homework. You can read it, study it, and learn from it. And again, part of that is it's got the imprimatur of the universal church. The Catholic Church, not the Catholic with a big C with a small c, a universal church. It's that way. And then finally you have catechisms. Catechism is simply a way of questions and answers by which you can learn the faith. Heidelberg Catechism, Westminster Standards and with their larger and shorter catechism. These are teaching tools. In fact, downstairs our children are learning the New City Catechism, which I call the Heidelberg Catechism Light. It may have more to say in our day and age where we have to truncate a, a, a great statement to accommodate our children, even though throughout the centuries, children who had less educational level than our children do, learned, memorized, and understood the Heidelberg Catechism. It's one of my pet peeves. We water down. And then we say, oh, aren't we good people? Well, no. <laughs> so, th- th- we, this is the way we pass it on. It's organized, it's systematic. Why these documents with, along with the word of God? Well, they've been confirmed and accepted by the church throughout the ages. Uh, it has not only a European and American or North American flavor, But actually, the Nicene Creed was developed out of North Africa, where the center of the church was at that time. And the Apostles' Creed came out of Turkey, Middle East. They are not European documents. And they have been accepted by every denomination or every movement of the church as creedal, as essential to the faith. Although, we'll say, just to make sure that this is honest, that the Eastern Orthodox, probably Russian Orthodox, have made a little switch in the Nicene Creed from the one we have. But other than that, they're the same. And because they have been accepted by the church throughout the world, that says something very strongly why we ought to know them and learn them. They exist as reliable standards by which the church stands or falls. In some denominations, you have to adhere to these. The, the vow that an elder or a pastor takes is that I will submit to them. And if you have any little ounce of quibbling about them, you have to tell them that and they'll, the, the denomination will say whether that's acceptable or not whether that breaks the total teaching or not. Uh, Part of it is, you know, fads come and go. How long have we had modern worship? We've always had modern worship. No matter what century you're in, it's the modern worship. The fad is to do it in a certain way. I notice this does not have a pipe organ. You know why? You'd blow out the windows <laughs> of the Bible. Or that's why. <laughs> so there are ways, fads that come and go, ways we do things, but these creeds, confessions, uh, catechisms, they are standards. Uh, they hook us up with the historic and the continuing standards of the universal church. God only has one family. Just as you are only part of one family and your family did not begin with your mothers and fathers. It went past to their mothers and fathers and to their grandparents. And their we have a whole line of individuals and people by whom uh, are part of our family and who have something to say. You, do you see those commercials for the genetics DNA? Well, I always thought I was Scottish until I took this and I learned that I was Mexican. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not a good test. But that was also part of who, who they were and how they were. Going. The guys who, they always had kilts and now they have lederhosen because it's German or something. <laughs> so... We have this huge family, centuries, and you're part of it. Why? Because if you're a believer in Christ, you are adopted son and daughter of the Heavenly Father. Your father, one of your great, 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 great grandfathers, is Abraham and Sarah. And you can go back to Noah and Mrs. Noah. And you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's part of your lineage. Fourthly, they enrich our lives teaching us the key elements of the faith. These are the core sound words that Paul talked about. Retain the standards of sound or of healthy words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. These are the teachings of what it means to glorify God and to go beyond mere formalism or mere easy believism into a full-orbed Christian life. Uh, well, I'll get back to that in a minute when we take a look at the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, in which ones are we most interested? Well, I probably basically have told you this. Early creeds, Nicene, apostles. We go back to the Reformation because of the period of the Reformation... Was not trying to create a new church. It was awakening a dead church to the core values from which it came. And the the dream of Luther and Calvin and Knox and others was: let's get back to the faith of Augustine, the faith of our early fathers, of the uh, anti-Nicene fathers. Let's get back to what the church was meant to be. And that's what they were trying to do. And they got kicked out of the church for doing that because it was so entrenched in its traditions and its formulas and its rituals, it couldn't accept it, it couldn't couldn't live with it. So the Reformation is restoring the church to its core. And the creeds that came out of that are the creeds that de- that define what that core is all about. So that's the ones we're looking at. And we've picked the Heidelberg Catechism. Why? Because it's close to the Reformation period. Martin Luther hung his thesis in 1517 on the door of the Chapel of Wittenberg. You know, they say the Chapel of Wittenberg, it was a cathedral, it was a huge building. I mean, it would golf this building. And we thought, it's a chapel. We think of a chapel as a little room with four chairs. But then you have the Heidelberg Catechism, which came about 40 years later, 1563, uh, developed through uh, the German, Dutch, and uh, Hungarian Swiss Consuls, written basically by one or two individuals, but accepted by them all. And it comes close to the very beginning of that Reformation. One of the things with the Westminster Standards is you're about 100 years down the road. And by then, you've had the counter-reformation. You've had the fighting of what is true and what is right. And so when you look at some of those later confessions and catechisms, they're fighting battles and they're looking at it as in a more... Doctrinal theological way. That's not to say the Heidelberg Catechism is not doctrinal theological, but they are. They were fighting battles that developed that, especially the confession. In a certain way, the Heidelberg Catechism comes in an early time when it's much more pastoral. I think we've seen it, and we'll see it today if if I have time to get to that three o'clock, that three on a clock we will see that it has more to do with how we are to live in the light of the doctrine you might put it this way the Westminster Confession is orthodoxy right thinking Heidelberg Catechism is orthodoxy built for orthopraxy right practice and so I say this is what we believe now this is what you do this is how you put it into action. So let's start a look at the Heidelberg Catechism uh, again. Now, just as a reminder, first question really puts the whole thing into its perspective. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Notice a couple things that it says. Your. It doesn't say what is the, which impersonalize it. It says what is your only unique. One of a kind. Not the way we use unique to mean rare. What is the one of the kind comfort? And when we think of comfort, we think of little Johnny who was running down the road and fell and banged up his knee and he goes to mommy and mommy goes, oh, Johnny, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Comfort, especially at that time, was a word that meant strength. Encouragement. We might even say Foundation. What is your only comfort in life and death? In our day and age, we look at this, and that's really our focus. If you look at the church of our day, the focus is what's your life? How can you, five ways that you can have a happy marriage. If you do this, God will prosper you and bless you and you will have more money than you ever need and you will get the new pink Cadillac that you've been praying for. And really, one of the things we've seen as we've gone to other churches is how it's all centered upon us and us today. That's the church. It's the catechism deals with that, but it also deals with this which I think I said a a few weeks ago, but that was a few weeks ago and I don't always remember what I said yesterday, let alone a few weeks ago. The key for a classic pastor was not that his people lived well. That was good. But his people died well. They died knowing Christ. They died with joy because they were going to meet their treasured Savior. They died because they were ready to die. In our day and age, we cover over death. Someone gets the word that they have a a debilitating disease that's going to take their life, and everyone says, oh, no, 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 no. We'll pray for you. Well, you should pray for them. But you also ought to pray for them, that they learn how to die well. And then when they're on their deathbed, they're, they're grinning. I'm sorry I'm leaving you, but where I'm going, I'm finally going home. No more moving. No new building. <laughs> no time to sin. I am going home. Yes! Got it! See, that's, that's the focus of the whole catechism. Not only how to live well, but how to die. And how, this is what your strength is. So as we work through this, we've been looking at what is our comfort, our strength, our foundation. What will help us to live and die well? And of course the answer is quite simple. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own. Boy, is that counter our culture it's my right I, I, one of the things that happens when you're sick, sick is you get to watch a lot more TV and you get to see how many shows focus in upon what's mine or how many crimes that are committed is because they did this to me or this is what I wanted I'm entitled to this And you're going, oh, man, is that the culture? It's not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood, and listen to this, has fully satisfied for all my sins. It's those adjectives and adverbs that really set it apart. Fully satisfied. There's not one area that is left undone. It's not like, well, he did 90% and I've got to add the other 10% because he just wasn't, he just didn't do the job he was supposed to do. He fully satisfied for all. Now, Again, catch that. Well, We remember the sins of yesteryear and some of them come back to us time and time again. And we are aware of some of the sins of today. And we think, well, man, yesterday and today they're taken care of. But it also means tomorrow's sins are already dealt with. That doesn't give you license to go out and sin. But he says, should you do sin, you already have a propitiation, that big theological word, someone who's already paid the price for that sin you have yet to do. You catch how massive that is? And then you wonder why Christians are worried. You say, it's all taken care of. My father loves me. My heavenly father loves me because his son already paid for all those sins. It's as if they never happen, although they have an effect upon me today. And redeem me from all the power of the devil. And so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. You think of the comfort of that. Six weeks before I'm really ready to come back. I thought it would be three. Three. And I'm going at the fourth week. Why is this taking so long? And my wife in her wisdom says, because you're almost 68 years old and it takes longer. <laughs> but all things work together for good. Car accidents, you name it. They all work together. He is working it together for his glory and your good. Whereas, Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit... You notice that son and spirit are included in that. He also also assures me, there's that word assures. He gives me the inner conviction of eternal life. I don't have to wake up in the morning and say, I wonder if I'm a Christian today. I wonder if God loves me after what I did yesterday. He says, no, you're assured of it. That, you know, when you come to Christ, you just kind of put that thing to the side and say, no, I'm his. And makes me, listen to this, heartily willing. He gives me the desire. And it's not just a weak desire, it's a hearty desire. A few days after the operation, back home, and the painkillers are, are coming off. And I haven't had a whole lot to eat. Now you can tell I like to eat. And all of a sudden I had a hearty appetite. Didn't come from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I had a desire to eat. It was in within me that came out. The Holy Spirit within you gives a hearty, hearty desire to do the will of god and not only heartily willing and ready you have the desire and you have the desire to do it you want to do it more than anything else for the from, on, from now on to live unto him that is live unto the christ live unto the holy spirit live unto god There is the overall question that helps us understand. Now, the catechism moves into three sections. To show us why this is true, the first section usually is called misery, we would call it sin or guilt. You don't know the good news until you know the bad news, that every area of your life is corrupt. Your mind is corrupt. You can't think the way the mind was originally made to think. And actually what you think about is not what the mind was made to think about. Uh, talking to someone yesterday about advertisements and how advertisements can get you to buy things. It's marketing. It's marketing. And they make something look so good. I mean, who really needs some of the things that they show on there? But people go out and buy it. Why, oh man, if I had that, my life would be complete. That's not good thinking. Not good thinking. Talk about the Redeemer, the God who saved you. This is your salvation. You see, I knew it started with a G. Or grace. How do you deal with this misery? You have a Redeemer. Comes from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get into the Apostles' Creed that we've been working on. Because if if you've been tracking through the Apostles' Creed, there's three sections. One on the Father, the Creator, who made you, who didn't make you the way you are. He made human beings perfect. Adam and Eve fell, and therefore we have fallen with us. And therefore, and yet come three, Genesis 3.15 he didn't wipe out the humanity he said I have another way to deal with this we've been looking at the son second person of the trinity his incarnation he left the glories of heaven to be here his life which he has exists, it lived for us the, perf- the perfect life that he gave his death that we looked at a few weeks ago, his resurrection, which we may get to, I doubt it because we only have 10 minutes left before your coffee comes in and you begin to shake. I'm watching you, I'm watching you. And then finally, the Holy Spirit. And you you look at the Apostles' Creed, it says the Holy Spirit Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection, the life everlasting, which is all underneath the Holy Spirit. It says almost Zippo about the ministry of the Holy Spirit except for the community in which he brings us. It's not individual. It's a community. That's why I said before we started, the people of God didn't come into the church. The church... Came into a new building today. And we are that church. And then finally, we're going to take a look at uh, then how to live. And that has to do with service or gratitude. that the whole life of an individual is a life that is built around service to one another, not service to ourselves. Giving of yourselves and doing it with gratitude. Why? Because out of your misery a redeemer has brought you into a community who helps you to grow. And it's that community by which you grow and you become stronger. And that's that's the whole Heidelberg Catechism in a very short summary. That's why we're looking at it. Uh, we are going to take a look when we get to this section into the Ten Commandments. So, how do you serve God? You follow what He's told you to do. You obey. And what does it mean to obey? Well, we usually summarize it by the two great commandments, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, the second which is as important as the first. Uh, the scripture says, no, it's more than just those two. That's only a summary. The deeper you go is into the big ten. And this tells you how then you are to live. You shall not lie. You shall not steal you shall keep God number one. And we're back to our passage in Colossians where Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Coffee is a thing on earth. I am going to make you feel guilty <laughs> about not bringing coffee into the sanctuary. So guilty that you'll say, "I don't want to do it. I will never do it." <laughs> Set your things on mind on things above, because it's so easy to be distracted by the world around us. That is where we're going with that, and then finally, gratitude. Number one problem of Christians: prayer. And, you know, I know this. It's probably my number one problem. I love opening up with reading devotions and reading the word. And then by that time I'm going, oh, I don't have time to pray. I'll do it later. And later comes and later goes. And it never happens. Um... Prayer is the the very essence. It's the atmosphere we breathe. It's the air of our lives. It's the number one communication with God because we pray the word, which is what he said to us, and then we pray ourselves back to him, and we then spend time listening to what he says to us. And in that section, we're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer, which is a misnomer. Lord's Prayer is John 17, which John did a good job. Where's John? I saw him. Uh, no, John John Gray. <laughs> He's not here. Pity, pity. pity. <laughs> which John did a good job of expositing last, last week. Um, there... There's a key of how everything else works is gratitude with prayer. Being a people of prayer. We have been busy getting into this new building. And one of the things that has suffered has been Friday night, prayer time. Because that is absolutely essential to the life of this congregation. We have enough people who can build, rebuild and reorganize and set this thing but you know if you don't have that prayer underneath by the people of God coming together to pray community prayer if the Lord doesn't build the house we labor in vain and the Lord builds his house by prayer so Friday night are we, are we doing part? Friday night we're here praying And if you don't have to pray out loud, you just have to be here praying. Right? Everyone, right? Friday night, you got it on your count? Your enthusiasm absolutely overwhelms me. (laughs) Friday night, we pray. And we ought to spend other times in prayer. This is what we've been looking at. And uh, what we'll take a look at next week is Lord's Day 17. And then the week after that, I'll show you a mistake in the Heidelberg Catechism copy that you have, which you can get for $10 in the back room, there, wherever the books are, okay? And you ought to have it because it's worth having to go over. They didn't put Lord's, Lord's Day 18th in the right place as far as all the other copies of Heidelberg Catechism I've ever seen. But we're going to take a look at uh, the ascension of Christ, which is... And John mentioned this back in May. Probably the most misunderstood or miss uh missed holiday, holy day of the Christian calendar. Why? Happens on Thursday. Come on, ten days before Sunday. Come on. It's in we never get together on Thursday, right? Maybe we should. We got ten months to plan it. <laughs> Switch Friday to Thursday. Now we got we have uh, rock fellowship then but that's that's what we're doing that's where we've been uh, that's why we've been there we're back up to speed uh, I'm back up to walking I didn't say speed I just said walking and we are going to be getting all set to head out it is ten thirteen. I have two minutes to pray and then A mad rush down the steps. (laughs) I hope not. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for those who have gone before us, not only in this congregation, not only in the years before, and we are living on what they have built. For those who have gone before us in preparing this place to be a hallowed hall of worship and praise and prayer, that this would be a place at which we can gather to know your presence and your love. But we thank you for those who have gone before us throughout the centuries, who have spent time in the study of your word, who have been guided by the Holy Spirit to put together in succinct forms An understanding of that word that help us to know how we are to live and how we are to die well. It is our prayer that Father, your same spirit would work within us as we continue to look at it. Thank you for the reminder of where we've been. It's always good to know from where we have come and to where we are going, but it's even better to know that you are working all things together for our good in Christ Jesus help us to go from here prepare for worship let our hearts and minds be focused on you looking at the things above not the things that are on earth and to be a people set apart for your honor your glory and your desires thank you for giving us a hearty willingness and desire to do that all in Jesus name and to his honor and glory And all of God's people prayed, amen.